Hey everyone, I'm so grateful that you are joining us again online. And let me just say, we are loving as a team reading your stories about what Jesus is doing in your life. So many of you from all over the nation uh, have let us know what you've learned, what you are learning, and how what we're talking about is challenging you in your spiritual journey. And so thank you for letting us come alongside of you to talk about things that really matter most. And that is not only our life now, but our life for all of eternity. And I, I want to I kind of illustrate where we're going today in a, in a different way. And I'll ask this question. Do you remember taking vacations? Do you remember being able to travel um, without worry, being able to not wear masks with friends and family and literally take a vacation that you enjoy? If you remember those days, you remember that you have some options of how you're going to pack for where you're going. Um, you, you have the, the big guy here that if you're going to stay for a while, that's the one you want to use. I will give you a heads up, taking this big guy, you better have $50 in your pocket because it will not pass the weight test. Uh, just letting you know that. You've got a, a smaller guy, maybe you go for the medium size if you're only staying for a couple of days. And then, hey, listen, if you're doing like an overnight deal, this is really all you need. Now, I'll be honest, guys, this is really all we need no matter how long the trip is going to be, okay? Um, all we need is deodorant, and that we don't even need deodorant. Okay, we can turn our underwear inside out several different days. We can do this for all month. It doesn't bother us at all. Ladies, we wear deodorant for you, not us. That was just free and might get me into trouble. But all I'm saying is, according to how long you're going to stay, usually dictates how you pack. If you're going to Mexico for... 12 days, you want to want the big guy because you're going to also need to put some clean water in there, right? So you think through it is what I'm saying according to how long you're going to stay. Now, our world teaches us over and over and drills into our head, this is a one-stop shop. So you want a life that is able to pack in as much as you can get. Uh, the bigger, the nicer, nicer the shinier, um, and the bigger your suitcase at the end of your life, the better you've done in life. The more successful you've been in life. And we don't give a lot of thought to where we're going to spend eternity. Because when we think about eternity, then we really understand, wait, 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 wait. This isn't a one-stop shop world. It's actually a dress rehearsal for the world to come and in that world we spend forever so we really need to think about how are we packing for that world now some may argue yeah but you can't take anything with you remember last week Kenny, you even said everything burned that's true you can't take things with you but when you read scripture and when especially when you listen to the parables and teachings of Jesus he said over and over and over that you can actually be rewarded for the age to come this age about to end the age to come you will be rewarded you go why is that important to be rewarded and what are those rewards? I want to talk about those in just a moment. However, this is what we need to know that your rewards equals your responsibilities. Your rewards, the good you have done for Jesus, will actually give you responsibilities of how you will serve with Jesus. Now, I want to kind of draw this out if you don't mind. So get ready for my creativity. Here it comes again. If you haven't joined us, let me kind of bring you up to speed. If we draw a timeline, 
we always want to put the hero in the story, which is Jesus himself with the cross and the resurrection. And we'll put ourselves here. A couple of thousand years after the cross and the resurrection. Here's what we've said in our time together. That at any moment, the rapture could occur and Jesus calls us to be where he is. He made that promise. He's going to come good on that promise. In that moment, we know where he is, which is in heaven. And that is where we will be with him. Now, we talked last week about something called the tribulation. The tribulation will occur after the rapture. And it lasts for a period of seven years. I'm just going to put trib here for short that it actually lasts for seven years. Uh, Jeff Kinley, our prophecy pro, who we'll hear from in just a moment, did an excellent job of talking about the Antichrist, what the world will be like during the time of the tribulation. So if you didn't listen to that, I really encourage you to go back online and catch that when we're done. What happens during the tribulation? Those who Jesus have called home, his believers, is what scripture calls the judgment seat of Christ. That's a throne. That's all I got. And I'm sorry. But it's called the judgment seat of Christ. Now I want to be very, very clear. The judgment seat of Christ is only for believers. To clear up some confusion, there are actually two judgments in scripture. Not just one. The first one is called the judgment seat of Christ. The second one is called the great white throne judgment. I will talk about that next week, so don't miss it. Rewards equal responsibilities. Following the tribulation is when Jesus comes back. This is where Armageddon takes place. Maybe you've heard of Armageddon. This is when it happens. When Jesus comes back, he sets up his millennial reign on earth for 1,000 years. The reward equals responsibility. According to your rewards that you receive at the judgment seat of Christ will dictate your responsibility during the 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ. How will you serve him? What responsibilities will you have in serving him? It's all according to the rewards that you received. So here's what I want to talk about. For the next few minutes, before Jeff comes to talk about what the thousand years will be like, I want to talk to you about the second most important day of your life when you stand before him. You see, it is a judgment. And scripture is clear on a few things. I'm going to use one verse to talk about that judgment. We will be judged a, a couple of different ways. Number one, we will be judged fairly. This will be a fair and just judgment. Here's what the Bible says. In 2 Corinthians, this will be our key verse. For we must all, and he's talking to believers. In 2 Corinthians, it's written to Christians. For we must all appear before the, here it is, judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Talk about that in just a moment. It's the judgment seat of Christ. It's his seat. It's Jesus. He's fair and he's just. Here's what I mean by that. If you grew up in a great home, healthy home, however you term healthy, great, great parents, unbelievable church you grew up in, the judgment for you will be different than for those of you who are watching who perhaps didn't have that type of home. 
Maybe you, you still have no idea what it would be like to have two parents in a home. Maybe you were abused growing up. Your judgment will be different. He understands your circumstance. He saw it all. He watched it all. And he will judge justly and fairly. Because why? It's who he is. So it's his seat. He does not judge everyone the same. It's fair. And it's just. The second thing I want us to get from this verse, we will be judged fairly and we will be judged individually. Look at what the verse says. It says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or whether bad. You don't stand before Jesus with your spouse. You don't stand before Jesus with your church. You don't stand before Jesus with your small group. It's you and him face to face for the very first time and you get an account of your life. Um, the question has been asked a few times that in the past, uh, is it public or is it private? Like will everyone see all that go down or is it just me and him like in a back room? You know when you read scripture, this is just my opinion, the parables he told makes it all seem like it's actually public. I could be wrong. It's an opinion. But, here's what I do know. I do believe this. Whether it's public or whether it's private, you're not going to care who's watching because he is. And in that moment, you're not even thinking about anyone else. When you stand before him face to face, the only person you want to smile on you is him. That's it. His opinion is the only one that matters. Um, the third thing we get from this verse that I think is important is we will be judged fairly, individually, and we will be judged thoroughly. The, the, the example is, it's like uh, when you put your jeans on and you reach in for your keys and maybe they get stuck in like a string. And when you pull out your pocket all the way to get your keys, all this little lint and this little bitty dirt that you didn't even know in your pocket, you just start pulling it out and fleshing it out and waving it out. And you're like, how did all that stuff even get in there? You thoroughly clean out your pocket from the inside out to get everything out. This is the judgment that will take place for us as believers. Scripture says, he doesn't just judge what you did. He judges why you did it. It's thorough. He judges the motives of everything you did. I mean, this is what scripture says. The same passage, it says, for we must all appear. The word appear means revealed. Everything will be revealed, turned inside out while he judges everything that you've ever, ever done. The what and the why of what he's done. And it will not be the same for everyone. For the man or the woman who has left their family for someone else. Their judgment as a believer, perhaps being backslidden, perhaps not living for Christ, but they know him. And it is a season of their life that maybe, hopefully doesn't last for the rest of their life and they do get things right with God. It's going to be different than the ones who struggled in their marriage but stayed together in their marriage. And it's thorough. Now, if you're sitting there watching going, oh my gosh, this is the worst news I could ever listen to right now. Listen, this is important. This is not a moment 
of condemnation. This is an evaluation, not condemnation. This is not a moment where Jesus takes his, his holy finger and points at you and says, I told you, I can't believe that you, no, 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 scripture's clear. Anyone is in Christ, Romans 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. No, not ever, not ever, not ever will you feel condemned by Jesus. The cross has taken care of everything. And you might think, well, whoa, whoa, yeah, I thought the cross did take care of everything. It's true. You are not judged on what happened before you gave your life to Jesus. Your judge, scripture says, unto good works that came after you gave your life to Jesus. You're like, wait, 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 wait. I still think the cross took care of everything. It did. Paid for in full. But this does not negate a judgment of justified sinners. God still does that now. Read the book of Hebrews. You as his son and his daughter... Slate white clean of sin. It's why you're his. Because of the cross. But scripture's clear. To live in sin now. As a parent. He uses parental judgment on your life. Of how to discipline you. How to bring you back. Not because he's mad. But because he loves you. And in this moment. It's out of a loving heart. That he asks you. What did you do? With what I gave you. What did you do with how I blessed you? What did you do with the gifts that I gave you and you alone? It is not condemnation. But it is an evaluation. After this moment of the judgment seat of Christ and you are rewarded for everything that you've done for him and for his kingdom comes Armageddon. Armageddon... <laughs> Armageddon is actually a battle that never takes place. Um, uh, scripture is so clear. The countries that are drawn in. China. Scriptures. Uh, the, the, the countries that come from the north. They come from the south. And they entered this one moment. It's a battle that never takes place. Because Jesus basically speaks a word. And he destroys his enemy. This is where the battle will take place. I have seen this, this from a mountaintop. I've taken a picture. It's the uh, Valley of Jezreel. Napoleon said, it is the ultimate battleground. There will be so much bloodshed in this one battle that scripture says the blood comes up to the bridle of a horse. All of his enemies for all time gathered in this one area and Jesus destroys those who will not, who refuse to accept him as their personal Lord and their personal Savior. After this moment begins what's called the millennial reign. I'm going to turn it over to Jeff, our prophecy pro, to tell us about this experience. Uh, JeffKinley.com is where you can get this book and some others. This is the book that talks more about this, and he actually has some more as well, Uncovering the Secrets of Bible Prophecy. So Jeff, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you talk to us about what those thousand years will be like. Hey, thanks, Kenny. Let's talk about the Millennial Kingdom. Now, when we talk about the Millennial Kingdom, we're not talking about a kingdom where millennials will reign, okay? That's not what it means. The word millennial is the Latin word for a thousand. So when we talk about Jesus' Millennial Kingdom, we're talking about the thousand-year reign 
of Christ on the earth. And this rain will come before the new heavens and the new earth, but we believe after the tribulation. Now, why do we believe that this is a literal kingdom that Christ will rule in? Why is it not just the kingdom of our hearts? Well, a couple of reasons. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 7, the number 1,000 is repeated six times in seven verses. That's a very specific, very literal number. I mean, if God did wanted to communicate that we're just going to be on the earth a long time, why didn't he say that? But he said specifically a thousand years. Secondly, previous prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming, Jesus' second coming, the tribulation, all of these are meant to be literally fulfilled. When we look back at the birth of Christ, every single prophecy that was fulfilled over 109 prophecies about the first coming of Christ, every one of them was fulfilled literally and exactly as the Bible predicted. And of course, we believe that Jesus will return at his second coming literally in, in a physical body. And the Bible says in Revelation 19 that we're going to be with him. So that's pretty cool. So we believe this is a literal kingdom. Not, not everyone believes that. There are some who believe in what's called the amillennial view, which means ah means no. In other words, the millennial kingdom or the reign of Christ is merely a symbolic reign. It just kind of takes place around here. In fact, Christ is reigning right now in our hearts, and that's what they believe. A second view says that it's called the post-millennial view, and it, it believes that we're going to sort of bring in this kingdom of righteousness ourselves, and we're going to make the earth so great that Christ is going to look down and go, hey, I'd like to come join that. And then he comes back uh, at, the, at the post or after the millennial kingdom that we create. But we really don't see that uh, being uh, played out in, in the reality right now. It doesn't jive with the reality. The third view is what's called the premillennial view. And premillennialism just simply means that pre is before, that Christ will return to the earth before the millennial kingdom. Okay? So that's basically three views of the millennial kingdom. Now, you probably know in your Bible that God uh, says in his word that he has always reigned. So it's like, why does Jesus need to reign if God's always reigning right now? In fact, Psalm 1016 says the Lord is king forever and ever. Another thing people might ask is, didn't Jesus say that the kingdom of God is near or the kingdom of God is among you? Yes, he did. And we have to keep in mind when Christ came, he came to the Jewish people to offer them for him to be their king. And they rejected that offer. And so the kingdom that Christ came to reign over with the, the Israelis, with the Jews, is a kingdom that is now postponed until the end of the age. And so when you have prayed in the, in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you've been praying for the millennial kingdom or the thousand year reign of Christ. Another thing to keep in mind, and so the Bible says that Satan is the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And Jesus referred to Satan many times as the ruler of this age or the ruler of this world. In fact, Satan offered Christ the kingdoms of the world and he had legitimate right to do so. But yet, even though Satan is reigning right now, God is reigning and ruling over Satan. God is ultimately in charge. He is ultimately sovereign. In fact, in Job chapter 1, we're told that Satan has to come to God to ask him permission to be able to do certain things. So Satan is, is like a dog on a very long leash right now. So even though Satan is ruling and reigning in, in certain areas, God is still uh, reign, reigns over all. So when we talk about the millennial kingdom, we're talking about the future reign of Christ 
on the earth after the judgments of the tribulation period and after his return. So people ask all the time, Jeff, what, what are we going to do? You know, what's going to happen for a thousand years? Well, it's going to be pretty cool. Israel will finally possess the land that God gave to them, that he promised to them. And it'll be in, in the exact border boundaries of the Old Testament specifications. You know, right now there's a lot of dispute over Israel and Palestine. There'll be no dispute in the Millennial Kingdom. Israel is going to rule and be present in that land. In fact, Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign from the capital city of Jerusalem there. Second thing is, on Christ's reign, is that his reign says that we're going to be ruling with him. Uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 9 verse 6 says that Jesus Christ is, is reigning. But Revelation 5.10, Revelation 20 verse 6 says that we will reign with him. And the reign that we have in heaven, in this kind of heaven, this millennial kingdom, which is sort of a kind of heaven, will be determined by how faithful we are to Christ right now. So you say, well, do I get into heaven for believing in Christ? Of course you do. But the degree of responsibility and degree of reign that you're going to have in the millennial kingdom will be determined by your faithfulness and service to Christ. So that's why our lives really do matter right now. Someone says, well, what else are we going to do in the millennial kingdom? Well, it's going to be great because for the first time, you and I are going to be able to live under a government that is completely righteous, completely just, and completely peaceful. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, will rule the nations with a rod of iron, meaning there's going to be absolute justice. Now, there will be people in the millennial kingdom who will disobey because they're going to be saints or believers in the tribulation period. They're going to go right into the millennial kingdom. They're not going to die and be given glorified bodies like you and I will have, but they'll go right into it. They'll, they'll marry, they'll have children, and those children will be given a choice as to whether to trust in Christ. Uh, some of them will disobey. And the Bible says there's going to be swift judgment because Christ is ruling as a righteous king. But another cool thing about the millennial kingdom is that there's going to be an enhanced environment. In other words, we're going to be living in a better earth. And there's going to be sort of a return to almost like a Garden of Eden type experience. Deserts, the Bible says, will bloom like gardens, Isaiah 35, 12 says. Another verse in Isaiah 30 says there's going to be plenty of food to go around. In other words, there's going to be a lot of food to eat. And don't worry about gaining weight in your, your new glorified bodies. You're not going to gain any weight. So it's eat all you want, right? It's like a, like a heavenly buffet. The Bible says there's going to be harmony in the animal kingdom. It says the wolf will lie down with the, with the lamb. The, the uh, calf will lie down with the lion. And it even says that children can play near the viper's den. In other words, no animal will hurt any human. No human will hurt any animal. And we're going to return again to that, that garden sense of, of harmony within the animal kingdom and between man and the animal kingdom as well. Scripture tells us that lifespans are going to be increased, that we're going to be living well beyond 100 years. Uh, obviously, we will because we'll live forever, but those who are, who are still in their mortal bodies will not die. They'll continue to live. And so there's going to be that enhancement, uh, just like it was uh, before the flood in uh, Genesis chapter 6. Nobody gets sick. Isaiah chapter 3 tells us that there's not going to be any disease. There will be no handicaps. You won't, Anything that you're suffering from right now, you obviously won't suffer from it if you're a believer now because you'll be in your glorified body. But Scripture also tells us that there will be no sickness to invade that kingdom among those who have come in from the tribulation period. There will be lots of joy and celebration. Uh, you think, you know, sometimes people think, is heaven or is the millennial kingdom going to be like one really long church service? 
Well, thankfully, no, okay, <laughs> because as great as church services can be, uh, there's a time to end, right? Well, in the Millennial Kingdom, it's not going to be like a big church service. There are going to be responsibilities for us to do. There's going to be rewards for us to enjoy. And we're just going to enjoy God, His presence, the earth that, that He has remade for us at that time, and also one another. All of our relationships will be completely made perfect. And so there's going to be joy. And the Bible tells us, too, that we believe that's where the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to take place. In other words, we're going to be able to have this, this thousand-year celebration uh, with Christ in the Millennial Kingdom. That's going to be awesome. Uh, scripture tells us that everything that is wrong is going to be made right. Uh, there's not going to be any more injustice, as I said, that nobody's going to be harmed. You won't need to lock your doors I mean, we're going to live in a perfect environment where we don't have to worry about bad things happening to us. Scripture tells us that there's not going to be any war anymore. Uh, Micah 4.4, Revelation 20 uh, tells us that at the very end, though, there's going to be one final uprising. And that is when Satan is going to be released from the abyss or the pit where he's been chained up for a thousand years. Now, just real quickly... A lot of people sometimes will, will say things in prayer like, I bind Satan in the name of Jesus. Well, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us that we can bind Satan. There's only one verse in the Bible that tells us that Satan is bound, and that's in Revelation chapter 20, where an angel binds Satan with a great chain and puts him into abyss for a thousand years. But, but watch this. At the end of the thousand-year millennial kingdom of Jesus, Satan is going to be released once again to deceive the nations, the Bible says. You say, wait a minute, who are these nations? Well, they're those who have been born in that thousand-year millennial reign period, and they get a choice to either follow God or just live in their own sin. And the Bible says that Satan is going to deceive a great portion of those. But before they surround Jerusalem, before they can get their war off the ground, the Bible says fire comes down from heaven and consumes them all, and Satan is cast into the lake of fire with the Antichrist and with the false prophet. So I know what you're thinking. Why didn't God just get rid of Satan at the beginning of the thousand-year period? I mean, why does he get released? Well, I have several responses to that. Number one, I don't really know, and really no one else really knows why God does that, because he doesn't really tell us why he does it. But there are a couple of ideas I think might be helpful to us here. Number one, it teaches us that the sinfulness that we have in our hearts doesn't come from living in a bad environment or living in poor circumstances. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 21 and following, He said that the, the, all the sin problems that you and I have, they come from right here, right in our own hearts. They don't come from our environment. And so we can't blame the environment or the world for our problems. But watch this. In a perfect environment like we're going to have in the Millennial Kingdom, that still won't be enough to change people's hearts. And so it teaches us that the sinfulness of man, the sinful heart of man, never changes. Another thing it teaches us is that Satan is pure evil. I mean, he's had a thousand years chained in a pit to think about all the things that he's done throughout history. Does that change his heart? Does that change his nature? No, it teaches us that Satan cannot be redeemed. And that's why God ultimately has to do away, do away with him for good. Another thing that it tells us is that no sin will ever go unpunished. And I know right now, if, you, if you've looked at the world that we're living in right now and, and read the news, which is not always a good thing to do, but, but you know, when we see bad things happen in the world, in your heart, in my heart, sometimes you just go, God, come on. 
I mean, deal with this, right? But God sometimes allows sin to go on, but there's going to be a payday someday. And this end of the millennial kingdom with Satan's final uprising uh, with these nations that he's deceived is going to teach us that God will punish every single sin that's ever been committed. In fact, God will punish every sin either in hell or on the cross of Jesus Christ. And the great thing about being a Christian is, is that our sins have been paid on the cross. We don't have to worry about paying for those sins. And then the last thing that I think it teaches us, uh, this uprising of Satan, is that all creation can witness Satan's final demise. In other words, we get to see with our own eyes sin being dealt with, Satan being dealt with, and now there's nothing left to threaten us or to threaten the kingdom of God. And God's going to make everything great. And at that point, the Bible says, He's going to create a brand new heaven and a brand new earth for us to live with Him for forever. And the things that God has planned for us are absolutely mind-blowing. We don't know what all they are, but we know they're going to be great because they're a part of God and His love for us. So that's a little bit about the Millennial Kingdom. I hope that helps. It's something to look forward to, a time where Christ is going to be reigning righteously. So continue to pray, Lord, I pray for that day when Your Kingdom will come here and Your will will be done right here, just like it is in heaven. That's a good thing to pray for. Kenny, back to you. Hey, thanks, Jeff. I don't know about you, but... <laughs> I can only literally imagine what it's going to be like for King Jesus to be the president of the world. Can we, I think we can all vote for that president and looking forward to his reign, his rule and his lead, which will be perfect. It will be holy. It will be right. And also for that 1000 years that Satan, the Antichrist and the evil prophet are actually away with for 1000 years and bound up. It's just going to be an amazing time together. And I want you to be ready. I want to be ready. And I want to be rewarded so that I have served him well now so that I can serve him well then. And so I want to end with answering this question. <laughs> How can I be rewarded? If there are rewards I can receive in that moment at the judgment seat of Christ, what are the re those rewards? Well, I'm going to list a few, but it's not exhaustive at all. As a matter of fact, when you read scripture, Jesus talked about rewards over and over and over. Uh, a few that I'm not going to mention that you can read about. In the book of James, it talks about that those who go through suffering and yet still love him well will be rewarded. Uh, there are rewards mentioned in Corinthians of those who have this desire and passion to share Jesus with those who don't know him. There are rewards mentioned uh, in the book of Matthew where Jesus talked about, listen, listen, when you have an enemy, do you have any enemies in your life right now? Please, please don't text you're married to it. Okay, don't just, just hang with me. But Jesus said, if you have an enemy in your life, don't seek revenge. Instead, I want you to rejoice because great is your reward if you love your enemy. So these rewards are all throughout scripture. Here are a few that I thought we could really hang on to in a very practical way. The first reward that you can receive is when you bless the poor. Jesus told this story and he said, you know how you throw a party. It could be a big luncheon or a big dinner party. And people usually invite their friends 
who live the same way. You, you, you have the same type of house, you make the same kind of income, and you know each other's jokes, you know how to laugh. He doesn't say don't ever do that, but here's what he does say. What if, what if you did something different? What if you invited those who aren't invited to parties? What if you invited the poor? What if you invited the lame? What if you invited the outcast of society and you threw a party for them? Here's what he says. God will reward you for inviting those who could not ever repay you. God says for that individual who has a gift of hospitality, who looks out for the poor, who looks out for the, those who can't pay them back, God says there's a reward coming for you. We can all do this somehow, some way. Uh, another thing that I wrote down uh, of how you can be rewarded, not just that you bless the poor, but that you wear his name well. Interesting passage I want to read to you. Here's what it says. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you. Why? Because you're my followers. Here's, here's, I want your response to be this. If that happens to you, rejoice. <laughs> Why do I need to rejoice? For great is your reward that awaits you in heaven. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, we live in a day we must get used to being called a bigot, being called antiphobia everything, uh, that you are slandered, that you're misunderstood, that people talk about you of what they think you're like when you're nothing like that at all only because you're a follower of Jesus and you hold a moral standard that the world does not hold. Get ready for that to come your way. And Jesus says, when it does, here's what I want you to do. Don't get even. I want you to rejoice because great is your reward. And that's surface level. I'm not even talking about those who are being martyred today for their faith, paying the ultimate price for their faith, which is in the thousands and thousands and thousands around the world today. Great is their reward for wearing his name well. A third way we can all be rewarded is that we're financially generous. Did you know that Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined? Why? Because it's an issue of the heart. And here's what he knew. There's nothing on the planet that can turn our heart, capture our affection and attention more than money. That's why I talked about it over and over and over and over. And there are so many stories he told, so many verses about he will reward you back. He will give back to you one day if you are generous toward his kingdom and his name with the money that he's given you. Now, I, I, want, I want to remind us of something. It's not equal gifts. Remember, his judgment is fair. It's about the sacrifice. It's about how did you honor him with what you had, not how much you had. There's a big difference. One would be unfair. One is very fair that you put him first in your finances. Always, he says, for that individual, that man, that woman, that student, I have a reward waiting for you. Here, here's another thing that I wrote down. How can I be rewarded? On how you work for him. Now, I love this passage. And here's why. 
there are many times we have a work environment. Wherever you work, there's usually someone you work for that you love in the name of Jesus. Is that the best, is that, is that, is that the best way I can put this? Um, they're rude. They are not fair. They have overlooked you for the promotion you deserved. Um, they gave credit to someone else for the idea that you had. Um, you feel slighted by them because of your beliefs or because of your skin color. That it's just not fair where you work and who you work for. Okay? Jesus steps onto the scene and here's what he says. Let me give you a different way of thinking about your job then. I love this passage in Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 and 24. Here's what it says. Whatever you do, I love this. It's not what you do. It's how you do what you do. So whatever you do, wherever you work, you work at it with all your heart as you are working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. <laughs> Why? Because it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So here's what Jesus says. I don't, I don't care where you work. It's how you work. And I want you to walk into your office tomorrow, the next day, and the day after. And you tell yourself this. Jesus, I'm working for you today. Every project I'm working on. Every pen that hits a piece of paper to, to line out all the, the financial atom, uh, uh, items for this job. It's actually for you. My heart and my mind is centered on working for you. Jesus says that individual one day will receive an award from me. When you hear a message like this. And you hear that one day. One day. Jesus is going to look at your suitcase that you brought to heaven with you with your rewards. And he's going to open them up to see what you did for him. How did you use the finances that he gave you, which were really his finances? You were just a steward. How did you use your gifts that he gave you that only you can do that thing that he blessed you to do? Will it be a reward case like this? That you really spent all of your stuff on you, not him. And this is what you have to give him. Will it be a reward case like this? It's not that you were perfect, no one is, but boy, you used your gifts, your talents, your income, your resources, your time, your energy to helping give hope to the world for his name's sake. It's a startling thought, isn't it? Now, some people say, well, you know what? I, ju I just want to make sure I'm at the party. I don't mind being on the back row. I don't need to be on the front row. If the, I, I, I just want to be in the room. Listen, what if, though, he had more for you? What if when you stand before him, this is what he wanted you to bring because of how he blessed you? You see, some people think there will be no tears in heaven. That day's coming, and I'll tell you when next week. But for this moment, I think there'll be a lot of tears. I think we will all, for the very first time, realize two things. Number one, we could have done more. All of us. All of us could have done more.
Um, we could have done more behind the scenes. Man, when you read the Bible, Jesus loves people who serve him in obscurity. He loves it. The danger is for people like me with a public ministry. Because the danger is I will settle for reward now and not serve him behind the scenes. That moment for all of us, I think there'll be tears of, ah, I was so selfish. I could have done so much more. I think that'll be the first emotion we all experience. The second thing we will all experience, though, is grace. We will feel, see, and experience grace unlike we ever have before because we will realize I shouldn't even be here to begin with. It was all about you. It started with you. It ends with you. And everything in between is about you. And we will experience his love in a way we never have before. That he will truly love us as his own. What if we start now? Living for that day. The second most important day of your life. That you will not have regrets and you will bring to him everything you did for him and while we might want to end this video and you want to go out right now and do good nothing wrong with that go serve your neighbor go do something good for someone who cannot do good for themselves go do good do good but before you do I want to remind us all of one thing one thing don't confuse doing good with the goal don't confuse good with the goal. The goal has never been to do good. The goal is to love him with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. When you do that, you will want to do good for everyone who comes across your path. When you love him, on that day, maybe this is what you bring. But if you bring a heart that at some point it turned and it changed. And the goal was not in doing good. The goal was really him. That you can look at him. Yes, have regrets like we all will have. But there's something in that moment. You stare in his eyes and you can say. But I really did love you. With everything I had. That's my goal. I got a lot of regrets. I've missed a lot of moments. I'm so grateful for grace and time to fall more in love with him. That's our mission, right? As a church, fall more in love with Jesus. It's great information. The prayer is that leads to transformation of the heart. That's my prayer for you. And that's my prayer for us as a church body. And I want to lead us in a prayer if you don't mind. Would you pray with me? Maybe you just want to say to him, Jesus, I have a lot of regrets. But I'm thankful for grace. I'm grateful for your love for me. Thank you that you love me unlike anyone else on this planet. And I look forward to seeing you one day. Show me the good you want me to do today. Not one day, but today. Whether it's just a kind word or an extravagant deed I'm available and I'm your servant. And maybe you want to tell him, 
I've never surrendered everything to you and I'm doing that right now. Just tell him. Say, you're the hero of my life now. I surrender to you. Everything you've given me, I give back to you. All the blessings and gifts you've given me, I want to use for you. I am making you for the first time in my life, my Lord, my Savior, and my hero. Thank you for rescuing me from me in the day of trouble to come. Thank you that I will be with you where you are one day. In your name I pray, amen.